Hey, let's pray as we uh, begin our time asking God to speak to us in his word. Father, we thank you for this space that you have given to us. We thank you that we can hear your voice today. We thank you that you are a good God, as we sang, that your goodness runs after us. That with all the different things going on in our lives, your goodness is constant. That there are many things in flux and many things that have changed, but your goodness is constant. And your goodness pursues us. You pursue us. You come after us. We thank you for that reality. We thank you for that truth. God, we thank you for just a, a new place to be able to gather indoors, a new city to be in. We ask that you would allow us to be a light and representatives of you and your kingdom, even as we are here. Father, I, I pray right now that you would silence our hearts and our minds where there's distraction, where there's worry, where there's the things that we have to do after this. The things that we know are coming up even this week, that you would allow us a moment of peace to be able to hear from you. Would you even just take a moment and, and pray in the quiet of your own heart? Tell God that you want to hear from him. Tell him that you want to listen to him. Father, would you help me to speak your word? Help me to speak the word that you have for us today, God. You know who's here. You know who's listening. You know all the situations. You know what we need. And so I pray that you would help me to speak your word and that we would be able to hear together from you. We pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen. Starting a new series today. We just finished up in the book of Proverbs, and now we are starting a new series looking at what it is that God wants to do in our lives, what God's plan, his vision, his heart for our lives is. It's, it's easy to get disoriented in life. It's easy to kind of lose focus. I, I know even talking to some this week of saying, I don't even know was it two weeks ago this happened? Was it six months ago? Like we just kind of get disoriented. We're not even sure, even during the kind of pandemic that we have found ourselves in, what is even happening, what's going on. So much of our life is blended together, work and home and school and home and, and so many things. It's, it's easy to get disoriented, which means that our plans get thrown off, our habits get thrown off, our hearts often even get thrown off, and we live with activity but that doesn't mean that we live with vision. We live with activity, doing things, and maybe even doing and then experiencing some release on the weekend or with friends. We, we live with activity and then release, but not necessarily with vision. What vision does is it gives us clarity. It helps us to know what we are doing, why we are doing it. It helps us even to know who we are, where we are going. Vision brings kind of unity and alignment to all the different pieces of our lives. We have these disconnected pieces. You've got work and family and marriage and, 
and friends and fun and your future and money and all these different things. But vision allows there to be a unification, allows there to be kind of a, a knowing of what am I doing? Why am I doing it? What's the big picture? Where am I going? And it's easy to lose that. I think that's true all the time in our life, but especially with something like what's been happening the last six months where we're just thrown into disorientation, it's easy to lose vision. And that's true all the time. That's why that maybe some of you have made bucket lists, which is kind of, here's what I want to do before I die. So at least you have some sense of here's what I want my life to do and be about. Some of you have maybe even made or heard of vision boards where it's a similar idea. You're saying, here's kind of what I want to do or focus on, or even just in companies, you've probably had vision meetings and vision statements that are supposed to unify and align because it's easy to lose focus on those things, or maybe even just at a, a normal kind of everyday level. A lot of times we just have kind of pithy statements that we say things like, um, you know, when, when you die, no one's going to say, I wish I spent more time at the office, or I wish I spent time working more. And that's supposed to help you know, yeah, so what's really important? What should I really be doing? What really should my vision be and my focus be? Vision is important. And it's important for us to have a vision in our lives, but it's even more important to know what is God's vision for our life? What is it that God wants for our life? What is God's unifying framework and focus? And, and what does he want us to know and remember? And what is it that he is about with us, in us, that could unite us both in our own life and together, that could give us focus, that could give us passion, that could help us remember the why of all the different what's that we engage in? We often lack. In this series, we're only just going to really begin it today, but in this series, we are going to be looking at what is God's vision for our life so that we may have a focus and rediscover his heart for us individually and his heart for us as a church. What is God's vision? So what I want to do is look at what it is that God has done for us and what it is that God wants to do for us now and what it is that he wants to do through us. So what is it that God has done for us? And really, we're kind of speaking past tense. What is it that God has done for us? And whether you're a Christian or not a Christian or just kind of spiritually interested or curious, what is it that the Bible claims God has done for us? This is you. And maybe you don't recognize yourself, but this is you. And I'm going to use this image kind of throughout. So... Uh, you, you will you'll see right now this doesn't look very you know exciting but just wait more will happen to you but this is this is you this is us and and when we when we ask the question what is it that God has done for us let, let's just begin thinking about this the Bible teaches that God is and we just saying some of this that God is good and that God is holy God's holiness is the perfection of all that he is and it means that God can't be near sin. He is absolutely perfect and good. The Bible says he's a good father, that that is who God is. And we, as humans, reject him. And maybe you have rejected him outright. Sometimes our rejection looks like ignoring. We ignore God. There's a God that says, I'm good and I love you and I'm your father and I care about you. And we ignore God. And we walk in ways that are contrary to God. 
and we disobey God and we build our lives loving other things. We have this good God, a good father, and we live our lives loving other things, pursuing other things. We live our lives not caring about the God that says he cares for us and loves us. And this is true if we are irreligious, kind of just doing whatever we want. And it's true even if we are very religious people. We can still live our life with ceremony and tradition and all sorts of things and activities, but not actually say, I love God and he's good to me and I'm building my identity and my life around him. And so the Bible teaches that God is good and holy and a father and that we are sinful in various ways. And that because of that, we deserve separation from God. What we have actually chosen in our own selves, the Bible says we we deserve separation from God. We deserve to be apart from God. But God has done something for us. God has done something for us. What the Bible says is God has done into this condition something for you and I. Here's what Ephesians says. And we're going to look at Ephesians, a few of these chapters kind of hitting some of the highlights. It says, blessed, this is the very beginning, Paul is writing to the church in a city called Ephesus kind of modern-day Turkey, around that area. He says, Blessed is the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavens in Christ. He has blessed. What has God done for us? Even though God is good and holy and a good Father, and we are sinful, what has He done for us? He has blessed us with every spiritual blessing. Now, he doesn't explain right here what that means, but that's what we're going to look at. What does it mean that he's blessed us with every spiritual blessing? That's, that's a lot. And this phrase right here, this, this, these little words, in Christ, is really important. Because what he is saying is that by ourselves, we are sinful, deserving separation from God forever and now. That's what we've chosen. And yet, God has done something for us, not because of us, but if we are connected to Christ. If we are united to Christ, if we are in Christ, then we experience all that God does for us in, through, because of him. And what Paul does in the first three chapters of Ephesians is walk through what those amazing spiritual blessings are that God does for us. So what has God done for us? This is what I want us to be reminded of or maybe to hear for the first time. Here's what he says God has done for us in Christ. For he chose us in him before the foundation of the world to be holy and blameless in love before him. So in him, notice again that phrase, we'll see that throughout all the different spiritual blessings that we are looking at. He chose us in him. Now, I, I don't know about you. Maybe you have longed for acceptance. You've longed to belong to people. And maybe you have felt on the outside. I know that there is, um, and this language has been used in articles and things pre-COVID, but a loneliness pandemic, which is to say that many of us experience loneliness and feel alone. We want to be brought in. We want to be chosen. We want to be accepted. We want to be on the inside, but maybe for much of your life, you've experienced being on the outside. And what it says about God is that in Christ, God chose you. God said, I want you, not because of anything you've done, not because of how amazing you are, not because of your worth, not because of your value, 
not because of anything inherent in us before the foundations of the world. God said, I want you. I want you. I want to bring you to myself. He chose us in Christ. It says he predestined us to be adopted as sons through or in Jesus Christ for himself. What, what this is saying is God, and, and we'll look at forgiveness in just a second. It's not just that God forgives you. God wants to adopt you, which means he wants to be your father. He wants you not to just be free from sin. He wants you to be in his family. He wants to bring you to himself. The greatest gift that God wants to give to you is not just that you would not have any sin anymore. God wants to give you himself. I don't know what your family situation is like. Maybe you didn't have great parents. Maybe you still struggle with relationship with your parents. Maybe, maybe your family is broken. Maybe you come from a broken home. There's all sorts of issues that we have in our families. And God, the perfect good father, is saying, I want you in my family. I want to bring you through my son, Jesus. I want to bring you into my family to give you a new community. To have you be my son, to have you be my daughter, and for me to be your father. God adopts us. In him we have redemption through his blood. The forgiveness of our trespasses or sins according to the riches of his grace that he, that he richly poured out on us. Redemption speaks of freedom. It's a, a word that is often used of the Exodus where the Israelites were slaves in Egypt and God redeemed them or took them out of slavery and rescued them. Redemption speaks of freedom. That we are slaves to our own sin. We're slaves to the world even around us and to Satan, the Bible says. That we, our hearts are aligned with things that are against God and God redeems us. He rescues us. He frees us. He breaks the chains and the bonds that we have, allowing us not anymore to have to live in the way of the world in our own flesh and desires, but to be free. That you are, if you are in him, you are redeemed. That your sin is totally forgiven. You're not defined anymore by any of your past, present, or future sin. That you are redeemed through him, through his blood, the price he paid to say you're free. You're not a slave anymore. His own blood. You have redemption. In him we also have received an inheritance. An inheritance is when somebody dies and then you are given access to what belongs to you, usually wealth, land, home, something along those lines. And he is saying that we have received an inheritance, a share in God's kingdom. I don't know what your financial situation is right now. I don't know what you even look around at in the world and say, I wish I had that. And you feel like you don't have and you feel like others have more than you. And this world here and this life here, you've got some benefits and some blessings, but there's maybe a longing for even more. And he says, in him, you've received an inheritance. You have a share eternally in the kingdom of God. In him, you also were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and when you believed. Sealed is the idea. Think about like a, a wax seal on an envelope. 
which means it belongs and it's protected. Both of those ideas are tied up and sealed. To say that you are sealed by the Holy Spirit means that God is saying, I put my insignia on you. You belong to me. You are mine. And, and it means protection, which means through all the ups and downs of your life. I, I don't know how you've experienced this week or today or even the last several months, but there's ups and downs. And, and we wonder sometimes, is God going to be with me? Am I going to be able to make it? Is God going to persevere me? And he says, I have sealed you, which means you belong to me and I will carry you through. I will be present with you. I am for you, I will not leave you. I, through the Holy Spirit, dwell in you. In Him, in Jesus, we've been sealed. Then He says this, and you were dead. And we're just tracing through. We're now in chapter two, and you were dead in your trespasses and sins. We were dead. That was our condition. That was our, I was describing earlier. Our our hearts spiritually dead, meaning we're cut off from the life of God. But God, who is rich in mercy. Because of his great love that he had for us, made us alive with Christ. Even though we were dead in trespasses. That we were dead, but he made us alive. He gave us a living relationship with himself. That we no longer are spiritually dead, but he brings life inside of us. Even though we were dead in trespasses, you are saved by grace. He also raised us up with him. Again, with Christ, with him, Jesus was raised from the dead. And when we are connected to him, we experience that same resurrection life. One day physically, the body you have right now, and this is good news for some of you, isn't, and I'm not looking at anyone in particular, <laughs> the body you have right now is not the end. That's not all there is, okay? You can, you can tell that to, to everybody around you, you know, say, this is not the end of my, if, you, if you're married, you can look at your spouse and say, hey, this is not my resurrection body. Just wait. Okay. It's not the end. He raised us up with him, which means we will one day physically experience the resurrection life. And right now we can begin to experience his resurrection power, new life inside of us and seated us with him in the heavens in Christ Jesus. Jesus ascended into heaven and now has all authority over Satan, sin, death. He reigns as king above and we experience because not because of us but because we are with him it means that we are not bound by the powers of this world we are connected to his authority we are connected to him as king that the things of this world don't have to rule us and control us but with him we experience victory over the things in this world that take us down tear us down and want to enslave us. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared ahead of time for us to do. You are created in him. You are a new creation. When you become a Christian, you are no longer the old you. You are a new creation. He makes you new, and he links this here with this. He's created us for good works. It means he's created you with a purpose in your life. That when God makes you new, maybe you don't like the way you were born. 
Maybe you don't like the skills you were born with and the opportunities that you were born with. Maybe you don't like the gifts that you have and the mental capacity that you have. Maybe that isn't something that you say, oh, I'm thrilled about this. Maybe you do enjoy those things. But either way, it says in Christ, you are created new for a purpose. That God says, I make you, I design you for things in this world that I want you to be a part of to make a difference. So then, remember that at one time you were Gentiles. Gentiles are those that were not a part of the people of Israel. You were Gentiles in the flesh. At that time, you were without Christ, excluded from the citizenship of Israel and foreigners to the covenants of promise, without hope, without God in the world. But now in Christ, in Christ Jesus, you who were far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. That is to say that these were people, Gentiles, if you're not Jewish, Gentile, people that were not a part of the family of God have now been brought into the family of God. To be brought near to Jesus, but also to be brought near to one another. That one of the things that we, that we experience when we are in Jesus is all the different people groups are brought and united together in him. That it's no longer just ethnic Israel that is a part of God's people, his citizenship, covenants, hope, promise, but they are united together. That God takes two different peoples and makes them one. That God is about the business of uniting people. That when we are connected to Jesus, we are connected to one another. He unites us. He brings us near to each other. In Him, you are also being built together for God's dwelling in the Spirit. Say so that God is building us into a temple. A temple is where God dwelt, his presence. You are being built together for God's dwelling or his temple. God is building us to be a people that experience his presence. He is saying, you're not alone. I am building you into a people that experience my presence with you. In him, we have boldness and confident access through faith in him. Which is to say that he invites us to himself. God is not a distant God. He's not a God that is far away. He is a God that says, I want you to boldly and confidently come to me. You don't have to think you're kind of bothering me. You don't have to wonder if I'm listening. You don't have to wonder, well, don't you have a lot of stuff going on in the Middle East? Don't you have a lot of stuff kind of happening with those people that are hungry? Don't you? We can boldly, confidently come to him. He is inviting us. This is what we have in him. What has God done for us? This is us. Sinful. Separated from God. God is holy and good, but God has done something for us. He has chosen us, adopted us redeemed us we have inherited a share in his kingdom he has sealed us created us made us alive raised us with him seated us with him he has unified us he builds us he has invited us that god has done something for us this is good news god has done something for us listen this is so important because a christian Sometimes we get this so twisted and so messed up. A Christian is not somebody that believes in God. 
A Christian is not someone that believes the Bible. A Christian is not someone that comes to church. A Christian is not somebody, listen, this is so important. A Christian is not someone that loves God or that loves others. A Christian is not somebody that is saying, I am trying to be like Jesus and follow Jesus. That is not inherently what a Christian is. A Christian is somebody that has had God do something for them. It's activity that's been done to you, for you. A Christian is someone that says, I've been chosen. I've been adopted. I've inherited God's kingdom. I've been redeemed, sealed, created. I've been made alive. A Christian is someone who has had God do something towards them. That God has done something for you. If you think that being a Christian is about your activity and what you do, trying to love like Jesus loved, trying to love God, trying to believe in God, trying to live the way Jesus lived, if that's what you think a Christian is, then inevitably what happens is you will either experience pride of saying, I'm doing it pretty good. I'm, I'm doing this Jesus stuff fairly well, at least better than they are. Point at the person you think you're doing better than. No, I'm just or, if it's not pride, you'll experience despair. You'll experience failure. You'll say, I, I, I'm a Christian, trying to love God, I'm trying to love people, I'm trying to love my kids, I'm trying to love my spouse, I'm trying to love people at work, I'm trying to do the things that Jesus would do, I'm trying to live the way Jesus would live, but ah! And you'll experience continual failure, knowing that you don't measure up, because it's rooted in us. And you'll constantly need various self-esteem boosts to feel better about yourself and go, you're not that bad and you are good and it's okay. But a Christian is someone who has had God do something for them. Redeemed, sealed, raised, seated. What has God, this is what God has done for you. This is what God's vision for us is, which is why this is going back a few verses, but what Paul prays as he's writing this is I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened. That your eyes of your heart may be enlightened. That means that they would see, that they would be able to take this in, that they would see correctly, that you may know what is the hope of his calling, what we just looked at, what is the wealth of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and what is the immeasurable, it's not little, it's immeasurable greatness of his power towards us. God doing something for us, towards us, who believe according to the mighty working of his strength, that God in his divine strength and his full power does something towards us, redeeming, saving, rescuing, forgiving. That is what it means to be a Christian. That is what God has done for us. My wife and I were watching... Um, th this movie, I don't know if some of you have seen it, it's a biopic about the life of Judy Garland, uh, the legend behind the rainbow, which is what I want my biopic title to be one day. And, and, it, and it, was a, it was a good movie. I, I don't know if you know, it, the movie ended with this, you guys know who Judy Garland is? It's Dorothy, okay, that's her most famous role, if you don't know, Wizard of Oz. It ended with um, it, this quote, the very end of the movie ended with this. A heart is not judged 
by how much you love, but by how much you are loved by others. That's a quote from The Wizard of Oz. And what this quote is saying here, here, the reason the movie ended with this is Judy Garland, she didn't, if you're a fan, I'm not trying to insult her, she didn't live a very great life. She had four or five different marriages, she was addicted to drugs, she was really notoriously hard to work with, would show up drunk at shows and be mean to people and all sorts of things. So her heart, it's saying, maybe wasn't that great at loving other people. But that's not how she's judged. The way that she's judged, the way that she is ascribed value, the way that she is ascribed worth, the way that she is ascribed okayness, isn't by how well she loved, because she didn't do a great job. The way that she is ascribed value and worth and status is by how much other people loved her. And people adored her, people loved her, and they still do. So it's saying her heart, her value, her worth, when you look at Judy Garland, her value, her worth, don't assess how great she did. Assess how much people loved her. Now, maybe that inspires you. Maybe there's something about that that's nice. It's also very damning. Because if you are judged based on how much people love you, that's what I think has led to many of our problems. I think a lot of us actually live like this. Trying to say, how much do people like me? And do, do they like me enough? And have I done enough to get them to like me? And always wondering and anxious and unsure. But if we replace others with God, that is exactly what Paul is saying. He's saying that our value, our worth, our person is not judged based on how well we've done at loving God or other people. It's based on our value, our worth, our person is judged based on how much he has loved us. You, if you are a Christian, what has God done for you? He has defined you by what he has done for you, by how much he loves you, by the immeasurable greatness of his power towards us. What if you knew that you were totally accepted? What if you knew totally forgiven, totally belonged to God? What if you knew that you were totally loved by God? That's what Paul is saying that God has done for us. What has he done for us? Immeasurable power, every blessing in Christ. But what does God want to do for us now? Because all of that is speaking past. It's saying, here is what he did. But what does God want to do for us now, today, even in this moment and in your life right now? See, sometimes I think we view our Christianity or faith as these things that happened. Do you have faith in this past historical event of what Jesus did? And that's it. And as long as you believe, yep, I think he did that and that happened a couple thousand years ago, then there you go. That's what it means to be a Christian. But God has done things for you, immeasurable greatness of his power towards you, but he wants to do something for us now as well. Because the reality is, if, if you're a Christian, you know this, that you've heard everything I just said. You've heard that God has forgiven you. You've heard that God loves you. You've heard that God has chosen you, that God accepts you. You've heard that you have experienced resurrection life. Those aren't necessarily new ideas to you. We have heard those things, and yet 
They grow old. They grow stale. Like a wedding day celebration when marriage is the most glorious thing and everyone is cheering and you spend $3 million on photographs and everything is, ah, oh, this is awesome. And then life goes by and, and you go, maybe it's not as exciting as that. Or even like a kid at Christmas that gets a toy and it's the most amazing thing and they're so happy and then three days later they're playing with the box or something, right? My kids are laughing. It's true. They're getting boxes for Christmas. That's it. Um, <laughs> it goes, it gets old. It gets dull. And so what happens is this. Even though we know that God has done these things towards us, the power of that starts to get dull and wear off. And so we feel guilt instead of God's forgiveness. We feel worried instead of knowing we haven't, we've been sealed. God's going to be with us. God is for us. We start to experience worry and anxiety about things. You would never experience worry and anxiety if you knew you had a God that loves you absolutely with immeasurable greatness of power. But we, we get worried and anxious. We, we want other people's acceptance so bad, forgetting the adoption and the, the chosenness that we have in Him. We start to worry about what people think about us. And we start to worry about our performance again on how well we're doing. And we, we start to go back into other sins, forgetting how good of a God is that we have. And forgetting that we were dead in our trespasses. We, we go back to those things. Forgetting that we're, again, ignoring and rejecting the good father. We, we go back because we know these things. But they go dull over time. We forget them. We lose passion. We lose heart. We lose motivation. Uh, don't raise your hand. Don't shout out yes. But you feel that? The longer that you are a Christian, the more tendency we have to have powerful truth of what God has done towards us grow dull grow weak and listen God knows that that's that's the normal experience if, if that's your experience you don't actually have to feel bad and go man I can't believe these things God knows that he knows that we experience that weakness he knows that and he wants to do something for us see so many times in, in our lives what happens is we we feel our weakness. We're no longer trusting in God as much. We're anxious. We don't love people as well as we should. We feel that and we think we need some sort of change. The circumstances around us need to change. A new city, a new relationship, a new something, something different, something better, something old, something new, something blue. I mean, we need something. And God says, I don't want to have you just manage your situation. I don't want you just to maintain. I actually want to strengthen you in the weakness. There's different ways to get out of the weakness that you feel. One way is to try to leave it, but your weakness follows you. Another way is to be strengthened in the middle of that. And that is what Paul says God wants to do for us now. Here's what he says. Ephesians 3, for this reason, and this reason is for all the different things that we just talked about, for the fact that God has immeasurable greatness and power towards us, for this reason, for all the spiritual blessings in Christ that we have, I kneel before the Father, 
from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named. I pray. Here's what he's praying. Here's what he's asking. Here's what he wants God to do. Not that he takes us out of a situation, but he's saying, I pray. You know what you need? And how often, you, some of you are reading ahead, but, but some of, we pray, we ask for God to do things all the time. How often have we prayed for this? He says, here's what I pray. I pray that he may grant you according to the riches of his glory that he just described, that he just talked about, to be strengthened with power in your inner being through his spirit and that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. See, what God wants to do for us now, God has done something towards us. He has taken, it said, Paul, Paul said, God has shown his power towards us and now he wants to take all of that power and do it in us. That's like an explosion you know, in a positive sense. That was like a firework graphic. That was the closest I could come to what I was trying to represent. Which I think these icons are new since the last, since the last six months of when I've used PowerPoint. I was like, ooh, these are cool. So, um, God wants to take everything that he's done towards you, his power. That's the same language that he used before. His power towards you, and he wants to now have it be his power back here really quick. He wants it to be the power in you, in your inner being. That's an experience. See, God has done stuff for us in the past, but he's not content with us just experience, just knowing about it in the past. He wants us to experience it today. God doesn't just want you to know about things that he's done for you. He wants you to experience them right now. He wants, he's writing to Christians that already believe this and he's saying, I want in your inner being, you're weak and I want God to strengthen you in your inner being with his power. Where does it come from? How is it just, we just kind of feel power all of a sudden? No, he says it comes from this. I pray that you being rooted and firmly established in love may be able to comprehend with all the saints, that's just the church, what is the length and width, height and depth of God's love and to know Christ's love that surpasses knowledge so that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. God has shown his love towards you, but I want you to experience it in you experientially. Not just a knowledge. I want you to feel it, to taste it, to experience it like this. You say, I, I know that God loves me. I know that. I, I already know that. You do. Paul knows that. But kind of. We can know something and yet we, sometimes we use this language of I know it here but not here. That's a lot what Paul is talking about. We might know it cognitively, we might know it theoretically, we might know it historically, we might know it intellectually, but not experientially, emotionally. He says, strength is going to come as your inner being is affected by the love that God has for you. Because we forget it. We lose focus off of it. We begin to love other things. We begin to forget how much he loves us, which is why other stuff becomes more real. The love of other people becomes more real. The circumstances around us become more real. Everything else becomes more real experientially. And he says, I want this to be real inside of you. An old theologian 
said it like this, that there's a difference between knowing honey is sweet and tasting honey as sweet. I don't care that much about honey. So there's a difference between knowing some bakery has the best donuts and actually putting that donut in your mouth and feeling the jelly or cream or whatever just ooze in. Cinnamon and sugar. And it's just, there's a, oh, there's a difference between actually tasting that, experiencing it, and just going, oh yeah, I know that place. They've got really good donuts. He says, God has done stuff for you. But he wants to do this in you. He wants his love to become experientially the controlling reality of our lives. Strength comes as we re-experience his love for us. It comes as we take what we know and it affects our hearts. That you taste it again. There is more of his love. That's part of what he is saying here. Let's just look at these two different kind of analogies or pictures that he gives to us. One is about dimensions. He says, I want you to know the length and width and height and depth of God's love. And thinking about that is to say, what if, what if this is where you live? And some of you go, that'd be awesome. Not as a second home. But if this was your full reality, this is you lived in this tiny little house. He said, this is the full dimensions of my experience. This is the length and height and width and depth. This is all that I know. This is all that I've experienced. And what he is saying about God's love is sometimes we live in these small dimensions of it. You know some of it. You've experienced some of it. You've tasted some of it. But you might be living in this when God's love, there's actually more dimensions to it. He says, maybe you're actually just living in the basement and there's a hole upstairs. There's a third floor and a fourth floor. And maybe you haven't even known that God's love filled. This is a picture of my house. And God's love <laughs> fills out all of this. That God, God's love, the dimensions of it. You might, what if we're just living in this space and going, yeah, I know God loves me and here's how much. And here's his forgiveness. And here's how much he's chosen. He says, I want you to know the dimensions of it. I want you to step into the full experience. God is infinite. There's more of his love to experience. I don't care how long you've been a Christian. There is more of all the stuff that we said that God has done towards us. There's more of that to experience. Or he, he gives us the analogy of immeasurable. Or, or sorry, he said that earlier. To know Christ's love that surpasses knowledge. That's, that's hard to even fathom. What surpasses knowledge? Maybe you say a lot surpasses knowledge for me. I don't know. But what, what surpass, what's bigger than knowledge? And the closest analogy I can think of with that is space. That it keeps going. No one knows the end of it. I mean, people have, I, I fell asleep in astronomy class, but people have degrees and there's teachers and there's telescopes and there's, there's giant telescopes and there's, so satellites, and, and, and everyone is always trying to continue to press into the surpassing space that exists because there's more out there. And you can keep going. You can keep seeing. I mean, sometimes on a really clear night for us, you can see the Milky Way. That's just one galaxy. The galaxies keep going. There's no end to the known amount of space. Even in Star Trek, they never get to the end of it. They just keep going boldly where no one's gone before. They just keep exploring, keep expanding. Paul is saying God's love is like that. 
It surpasses knowledge. You have some knowledge of it. You do. You have some grasp of it. But he says there is always more to explore, more to therefore experience. What God has done towards you, he wants now to do in us. He wants all of his love and affection and choosing and forgiving and redeeming and sealing. He wants all of that to be felt by you in new ways that gives you strength here. And the way that just really quickly, we'll talk about this in some later sermons, but really quickly, how we actually experience that. He gives us a couple things. One is he's saying, I'm praying this. It's not just something that happens. He is saying, I am praying. I am praying that this happens. If you want to experience this love, this inner strength in your inner being, it comes through prayer. You praying, others praying for you. That's what Paul believed. It comes through comprehending, which is to actually think about it and allow it to get into our minds. It comes as we do it with all the saints, which means it happens together. It's not just an individual experience. You will never fully experience what God wants to do for you and in you by yourself. To reach the depths of God's love and the various dimensions and the unsearchable knowing of it, it takes other people to fill that out for you, which is why it's done with all the saints, which is part of why if it comes through praying, if it comes through comprehending, if it comes through togetherness, that's part of why this here matters. Because together we're saying we want to know and experience again God's love. Last thing. This is what God wants to do for us. What does God want to do through us? God's vision for your life is that he has done something towards you. He's done something in you. And he wants to do things through us. He doesn't just want to make us stronger. He doesn't just want all of his power to come inside of us and just make us strong. He wants to make us stronger for something. The next verse is therefore. So with this strength that you've experienced, that's from all that God's done towards you. Therefore, I, the prisoner of the Lord, urge you to walk worthy of the calling, which is all that stuff that we just talked about, that you have received with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, making every effort to keep the unity of the spirit through the bond of peace. And he starts the rest of the book. Ephesians goes chapter four. This is the beginning, chapter five and chapter six. The rest of the book, he starts going into some of the ethical teaching of how what God now wants to do through us. God wants us, this is just a snapshot of it, the, the patience and the gentleness he wants to come through us. The way he wants us to treat our spouses, the way he wants us to treat our kids, the way he wants us to treat our jobs, the way he wants us to walk away from sin, the way that he wants us to engage in the world. I mean, all of these different things come through us after we've experienced something in us for us. He doesn't just want to make you stronger. He wants to make you stronger for something. He wants to do something for us, in us, and then through us. In the people around us. For some of you it's this, maybe for some of you it looks like this. Or even some of you like this. And it might feel like this for some of you also. It could be. <laughs> maybe some of you it actually is like that. Some of you it just feels like that. But God wants to do something through us. He wants 
us to love, to serve, to have pay. I mean, all of those ethical things. But it starts with what he's doing for us and in us. Because without that, without that, we're like a, my kids have had remote control cars. And, and you know, they, you charge it with the battery and then it's zipping around and going. And then as the battery starts to die, it's just kind of just kind of one wheel at a time and it's barely going. It looks like an ant with no legs, just kind of, I don't even know how that happens. And he says, that's what will happen with us. You lose motivation. You lose the desire to love. You lose the ability to love. And we experience things that we talk about, like, oh, I'm just kind of burnt out or just need a break from people. Or we talk about just, I'm, I'm done. Or maybe sometimes it's escaping, feeling a vacation or some sort of change that we feel like we need and we go back to our sin because there's no power. He says, you need to experience the power towards you. You need to experience the power in you. And then that power goes through you. But if you're cut off from that, then you're just trying to do all the things that Paul says. Okay, I'm going to try to love people. I'm going to try to have a good marriage. I'm going to try to love my kids well. I'm going to try to be patient. I'm going to be, try to be gentle. I'm going to try to, and it's just all this, and we don't have the power fueling us. He says, this is what we need. God wants to make you stronger for something. God, listen, God doesn't want you to live an apathetic life. He doesn't want you to go through life just not caring or, or feeling that every sort of thing is drudgery and Okay, he doesn't want that for you. God says, you're not alone. I want to give you power to do all the things that I've called you to do. We all want a vision for our life. We all want some kind of vision that focuses things, that gives us a why. And God wants to remind you. He wants to remind us today and through this series what his vision for us is. He wants to remind you what his vision for you is. And, and maybe even as we look at this and thinking about God's love and how powerful it is and what it can do in us and through us, you might say, that's, uh, that's too much. Can't I just settle for being a good Christian person? Can God really have me experience this at this deep level that explodes out of me to others? You know what? When you think that he can't do that, you think that that can't happen in your life, we're believing that he can't do that, not just that you can't do that, which is why he says, now to him who is able to do above and beyond all that we ask or think, according to the power that works in us, to him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever, amen. You cannot make this happen. You can't just muster up some feelings of love for God that explode inside of you and go, you can't do that. But he can. He, what, what do you dare to ask God to do in you? What do you dare to ask God to do through you, to change in you? What sins and habits and patterns, what, what purpose and mission and difference, what, what motivation, what experience do you dare to ask God? Do you think God maybe could do? Do you imagine God could do? He says God can do more than that. He says whatever you ask, whatever you think, he can do above and beyond. All of that according to his power. We can receive his love. 
We can experience it. We can be changed by it. We can give it. And we show him both now and all generations. That's us. Paul wrote this a couple thousand years ago. All generations. What if we take him at his word? Imagine what happens if we experience his power strengthening us individually and as a people. Imagine his power strengthening you for your relationships, for just your experience of God, for all the different things. Imagine what he could do in us as a church and in your life. Here's really the only application that I want to ask you from this. This isn't a super practical sermon in some sense. I want to ask you to pray. Just as this is the main thing that Paul is doing. I want to ask you to pray this week, every day, for seven hours. No, I'm just kidding. I want to ask you to pray every day this week and ask that God would allow you to experience his love anew. And pray for our church, just as Paul did. That's what I've been praying for our church and what I'm going to continue this week, praying for our church that this, above and beyond what we even ask or imagine, would happen. We're going to take communion. When we take communion, we are remembering this great love for us, though we didn't deserve it. We're remembering his great love, his great power, the spiritual blessings towards us. We're remembering Jesus' body broken, his blood shed, to forgive us of our sins, to adopt us, all the things in Christ. To seal us, we remember what he did to give this to us. So that we could have his love towards us, have his love in us, and have his love through us. So would you take a couple minutes, take communion, then we'll respond in singing a couple songs. I'm going to just say a prayer for us right now, and then we just ask you in your seat to say a prayer. You can also use this time to go to our Next Step page. If you're new and, and maybe the, the next step for you in responding to God's love and what he wants to do through you is to, to begin to take some next step. Maybe that's to get baptized or it's to, to sign up for startup or to give or serve or something to say, I want God to do something through me. So pray with me and then just pray in your own seat as well. Father, thank you for this love that you've given to us. Thank you for the love that you have shown to us, the way that you have blessed us with every spiritual blessing. It is beyond knowledge. It is incomprehensible in so many ways. And yet we ask, even, even right now, God, I pray, just as Paul did, that in the inner being of every person here, that you would strengthen, that you would allow your love that is so beyond and so vast to become so present, so intimate, even just at this moment as we take communion, remembering you don't just want to do something for us in the past, but want us to taste and experience your love. May that even be true in these moments that we have together. In your name, Jesus. Amen.